0: This is getting out of hand now there are two of them where's your innovation huh sequels suck
1: do the same thing everyone's happy it's all about money boys here we go again
0: awesome we're really going to be able to jack up our prices for two-time galaxy savers
1: hey guys and welcome back to another episode of franchise fatigue this is a show where we explore film series one movie at a time I am your host James Hamrick, and I am joined with my co-host Gabe Green. What's going on, man? Hello. Actually, you know what? Uh, before I ask you how you're doing, uh, I'm going to take this opportunity as being the the owner or the the, the main introductory host to introduce uh, our friend uh, Josh, and then badmouth you because uh, you and Ryan had a fair. field day. <laughs> but uh, so Josh, Gabe's the worst, right?
2: No, I would never say that on a hot mic. You do know
0: that I'm the one who edits this episode, Dang, right, James? Yeah, that, that's right. None of this is going to make it in.
1: Well, let me just say, Ryan did not have the reluctance you have in insulting me.
0: <laughs> He's a pretty savage dude. Well, he? maybe that says something about you, James, huh? Ah,
1: maybe. Uh, but I won't hear any of it, so it doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> All right. Um, so, yes, uh, we are joined by our good friend uh, Josh Masker, and in case anyone... He uh, didn't listen to our epic two-parter on The Last Jedi. Uh, Josh, you want to just introduce yourself to our listeners?
2: Yeah, so I guess I was on the podcast about a year ago for another unfairly disliked movie, which that's apparently my niche, is appearing (laughs) when there's a movie that is highly divisive, and um, I'm correct on it. And so... (laughs) (laughs) and so it's good to be here again also just want to say thank you to gabe and james and jeff who's not with us for being awesome admins over at the outer rim our ever-growing star wars fan group it's over 600 members now and we would love for any of you to join who want a positive star wars experience
0: and there is plenty uh to talk about with star wars this week i uh, the whole Weiss and benioff leaving and then Weiss and benioff leaving and then the mandalorian trailer it's just just keeps coming all right uh so today we are talking about guardians of the galaxy volume two but before we talk about that, I want to ask you guys, if you enjoy the show, to please head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review and subscribe while you're at it. Uh, that would be very much appreciated. And uh, like us on Facebook to keep up to date with all the latest episodes and uh, give feedback that can end up on the show. And speaking of that feedback, I actually forgot to um, <laughs> ask on Facebook and Twitter this week. Uh, total professionals here.
1: You just took out any incentive they have. Well,
0: I've done it every other week. So they hmm. might actually get it on the show. Maybe. Maybe. Next week on what's what is next week? Homecoming? Yeah. Homecoming. Yeah. I will try. And it's actually y'all, getting a bit late and we're a little pressed for time. So I think for this episode, and hopefully this episode only, we are gonna skip the behind the scenes discussion. Uh it was a pretty standard, uneventful uh production. You know, just James Gunn was hired to write a movie, he wrote it and he made it. And as far as I know, there wasn't really any kind of turmoil. So it, it was just pretty standard, nothing terribly exciting. So I don't think you're missing anything. All right. So skipping past that and just jumping directly to our first viewings. So uh, when did you guys see the first time and uh, have your thoughts and opinions evolved on it at all in the time since then?
2: Yeah, I saw it in the theater um, at least once. I don't think I saw it twice, um, but I definitely saw it in theaters at least once because I loved volume one. Um, I would now basically consider myself a James Gunn fan. Uh, and I really connected with the first volume. And so I was excited to see where he was going to bring the characters in volume two. And I left a very happy fan of that cast of characters. So you were the one. I left as a very happy, uh, uh, fan of that cast of characters and where Gunn, uh, brought them in that particular entry in volume two And I was really excited to um, talk about it with other people. And I've watched it several times since then. As a matter of fact, as far as watches are concerned, Volume 2 would probably rank higher than a lot of the other um, MCU movies that
0: I've rewatched. Nice. And what about you, James?
1: Yeah, so I remember seeing it in the theater uh, with a big group. All of us had seen the, the original and all had loved it. Uh, my first viewing I was not a big fan Um, I I was really turned off by a lot of the humor I thought the editing and the structure and everything I just I thought it was kind of a mess of a movie Um, and I didn't rewatch it for a long time in fact I think I didn't actually watch it again until our marathon leading up into Infinity War and I ended up enjoying it a lot more on that rewatch and I think I've I think I've seen it Three times now. I think that it was the twice before, and now the third time for this episode. Um, and this third watch is a lot more similar to my my second, where I still have I still definitely have my issues with the movie, um, and I know we're gonna talk about that definitely. But um, it holds up and works as a continuation of the first one a lot better than I remembered. Um, some of the, a lot of the humor that bothered me still bothers me, but there are other moments that I didn't like first watch that I actually do find funny now. Um. So, I I find myself somewhere more in the middle where I I'm not really in love with this movie, but I still end up liking it a lot and liking it a lot more than than some people who who really hate it. Um. Uh, and that that's pretty much where I am now.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So similar to you guys, I am a an enormous fan of the first film. I I saw that like four times in theaters, which was a record at the time. And you know, watched it right before going into this film, and. Like you, James, I was very deeply disappointed. Just pretty much everything that I loved about the first film was just either was you know there were parts of it here, but just it just never it never felt the same. And not so much of it just did not work. The humor was a huge uh, source spot for me. I thought the plot and the structure was just a mess. I saw it again, and, and it didn't help all that much. It wasn't until I think the rewatch for Infinity War that I I, I, I I think where it started to grow on me a little bit. I, like most of the problems still remained, but I I appreciated a bit more of the drama, and that's kind of where I am now. Like I still have a laundry list of problems with this film, but I also have a good bit of appreciation for the drama. It's, it's, it's really a remarkable film, <laughs> just like any other film with this many problems. I would probably hate it, but I think James Gunn did so much has so much awesome stuff going on as well. That it's just it's it still ends up being kind of good. So moving to uh, what I, I would think would be the general idea and theme behind this film is it's not easy being a family. Like <laughs> it's just like this fa- newly formed family realizing that it's actually kind of tough and trying to you know <laughs> force their you know widely uh, disparate personalities and and your know, desires in life together to try and see if they can actually maintain this new thing or if they're just going to blow apart. Um, would you, Josh? Would you agree that that's kind of the main driving force of the film. I, I would,
2: I would. And, and I think that that theme is brought forth in somewhere or another through each of the characters. I think that it's about the collision between imagination and reality. I think that each character has this. You I on that. Yeah. I the think the reality part. Yeah. So whereas volume one was very much steeped in nostalgia through particularly Peter Quill's character it was his safety blanket. His his Walkman is basically a an icon of that. It's it's his safety blanket. It's it's his refuge from um uh his his childhood and wherever whenever he needs a safe space he goes to to his Walkman and to that music that he grew up on. And so in volume 1 nostalgia was this this safe space so to speak for for Peter Quill in particular. And I think where volume two comes in is and it not just for Quill, but for the other characters in the film, is nostalgia and imagination and your idea and your desires and how you think things should be come into conflict with with reality. Um, It's actually to piggyback on the point in some ways that you already made and each character has to learn how to deal with the idea of how something is supposed to be in their head and how they think it should be and what reality actually is and they have to come to terms with that. Every single character in the film has to come to terms with what reality is uh, for them and for this family that they are trying to... Um, to form together. And as you said, it's very tough. They have disparate personalities, very disparate personalities. And uh, James Gunn, of course, wrote them that way because he knows how to create conflict in a script between characters. He handles ensemble ensembles exceptionally well. And I, and I, I think volume two, even with some of its structural issues is a phenomenal example of how to handle, uh, uh, several characters at once and give them their time and their moment to shine. But um, we could even go through, you know, each character in in volume 2 and discuss how their 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 bubble was was popped in a lot of way, in a lot in, in, in many ways. And they had to come to terms with what reality actually is. And they had a choice to make um, whether they would stay, and and see the the thing that was right in front of them, or whether they would, or whether they would run away into their their cocoon, whatever that may look like look like for them. And I and I and I and I think that that's expressed through
0: through each of the characters. I've never i never heard the, the the thing about you know the imagination and reality. That, that, that is a definitely a very interesting angle. Well, and, and
2: and to that point and that for quill going back to quill, it's symbolic when ego smashes his walkman, right? It's that's it's symbolic of of the the nostalgia um, and the the idea he had in his mind of um, how things should be and what even having a dad would be like possibly it, it literally crumbles right before his very eyes. And um, and so we can talk a little bit more about that. But that, that Walkman is in the first two volumes. I hate to harp on it so much, but it, it's such a... Um, it's, it's, it's an icon meant to symbolize uh, Peter's growth from uh, essentially a, a stunted child... <laughs> You know, basically stuck in childhood to by the end of volume two, becoming um, more of a man and accepting
0: responsibility. Going to that point where you talked about you know the uh, the false notions he had of uh, you know of what having a dad would be like, I think that that is a very interesting thing that runs throughout this film, where we hear that Quill kind of had uh, this idea this kind of you know he didn't have his father you know he never, he never met his father he grew up with his mother then she died and he was you know trapped with crazy space pirates who wanted to eat him and so he created this fake identity of you know, zardu Hasselfrau um, mm-hmm. of his father and and then this a fantasy version essentially of a father kind of shows up wanting to take that place in his life and, you know, he just kind of falls for a hook, line, and sinker. And then, obviously, it turns around that the, the guy, you know, the the life he offers is really just a fantasy. And the father only wants him, you know, to be an extension of himself, doesn't actually care about him. And then we meet the real father, Yandu, hashtag Mary Poppins, um, <laughs> who, I guess, was the one who was actually there. Which <laughs> kind of brings me to, I, I, to a small criticism of the films is that... I, I don't know that Yandu actually earned that line. you know he may have been your father but he wasn't your you know, maybe your father but he wasn't your daddy because like every, their entire relationship in the first film despite moments where you could see the connection was him threatening to kill peter peter like over and over again and like that was their, that was their entire relationship like I'm gonna kill you if you don't do this and like, the last time they saw each other before this film for like the climax of this film was him threatening to kill him, Peter. And now this movie kind of expects us to buy that. No, he was your daddy. It's like, I hey, uh, just like, th- I think all of the ingredients were there from the first film, but I really, I, I think this, this comes into the, my main issue with the main structure of the film is that Peter and Yandu don't actually meet until the climax of this film. So there's, there's no actual time for them to grow together. They just have to have all, they have to have an entire movie's worth of development and growth and forgiveness. And, you know, finally coming to terms with their twisted relationship in, you know, in the half hour finale, that's also has to be a gigantic action, you know, action spectacular. And I feel like that's an issue with a major, probably my biggest issue with this entire film is that it's a film about relationships, but it finds every excuse at every, every opportunity to split the characters up so we don't actually get to explore those relationships. Like I I love, I love all the ideas here. And I think most of them kind of stumble along and into something coherent by the end. But I I do find this film incredibly frustrating. I feel like the the structure and plot of this film is at war with the themes and characters and arcs every step of the way.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's, um, I agree with the uh, the idea that that moment itself does feel a little unearned. Um at first like the first viewing I was like this idea is entirely left field and I like actively disliked it entirely. Uh re- like watching this after rewatching the first one, knowing where they go in the second one, I do think like you said like they they have all of the ingredients in the first one, you know, cuz You've you've got a very tumultuous relationship with him, but you have those idea like they're already saying like you've always been soft on him, um like him be you know the the reveal is like yeah it's a good thing we didn't take take him to his dad, like you have the setup for the idea that under this like cruelty kind of I, I got him because he was skinny and he could get in a small pool. like under,
0: good for Thief.
1: yeah exactly underneath all of that there was this care and so you have that setup. And like I said, I think if they didn't fragment the group, I think you could have, you could have explored that, um, and and how I don't know how you would how you would change that. Um, I mean, you'd kind of have to make a very very different movie considering so much of, of Peter's time in this movie is just on the on the planet. But uh, but somehow like bringing them together for a longer amount of the runtime and then having that line after they do like they're like introspection and like thinking about their past and and actual like conversations because it's like, it's, it's like somewhat okay for the audience to buy it because we've been seeing this, this life of remorse, um, that, that Yondu is, is living now. It's just, he's, his whole life is just washed, washed over by sadness and, you know, opacity regrets and stuff. And so when, when we end, you know, like, he, we can definitely tell that, that there are decisions he wished he didn't make and th- this and that, and, and we see the growth. But like you said, Peter doesn't. So, when you try to, like, step out of just what is the audience seeing to, like, what are these individual characters seeing? Yeah, like, Peter hasn't seen him since he threatened to kill him <laughs> at the end of the first one. He hasn't been there present for all of this growth. So, I I do think that moment is a, you know, it's it doesn't not work at all. I think it works well enough. I think we can, like, try to put dots like connect dots in our head enough to like okay i'll i'll buy this for the sake of the movie but it's not that like i i get super emotional during the actual funeral scene because it's just freaking incredible um but that that scene of them coming together and and of yondu dying in front of him like i i would be caring more if i if i cared about this relationship more but i don't even feel like I haven't even really been told to care about this relationship until the finale because his relationship with Quill is only like somewhat been brought up prior.
0: Um, yeah. And like he, the other time, the rest of the movie, he's kind of playing therapist to, to, um, so uh, rocket, which doesn't really kind of connect to his relationship with Quill. And like the, the thing you said, where like, it all kind of works. Like in the end, when it comes together, it's not like cringy or eye rolling when the drama happens where, which I think it would be if there was no truth to like. There's a lot of elements of truth and good execution throughout, but it's just. But even with every scene that works, I'm like, man, but this scene would have been hit me so much harder <laughs> if they actually set it up. I I, I can feel Josh's heart breaking
1: <laughs> over there over Skype. Either heart <laughs> heartbreaking or it's just anger building. No, it, don't hate me, Josh. Yeah,
2: no, no, it, it's neither. And I I actually don't don't necessarily uh, uh, disagree on that they could have added a bit more connective tissue there but what I will say for for what it is and how it was done is Gunn was able to infuse so much humanity every step of the way um, that that there were things that, that you accepted as true basically as pretext for what occurred because of how he, he wrote these characters and then how the cast actually um, acted those, those scenes together. So in some ways it's, it's to your point, Gabe, even though I don't get super frustrated with the movie at all, I think it's, I think it's delightful. I think it's a, it's an art house character piece inside an MCU movie, honestly. Um, and that's why the structure that's why the structure is so non-traditional um it's why it's character driven more than it is uh, plot driven it's about what the characters experience um more than it is about any particular thing happening around them though there are those things that that happen that that push things forward as as they need to be but um it is almost as if when you're watching the movie, Peter Quill, Peter and Yondu, a light bulb. May and maybe it's a convenient light bulb. Okay, maybe it's a convenient light bulb, <laughs> but a light bulb goes off in in both of their heads, and and the very thing that had been right in front of them all along that would actually give them some kind of sense of of belonging, um, and. And Peter to have have a father figure that 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 individual has been there all along, uh, and and that is and that is Yondu. For Yondu, he realized even I think through that pivotal argument with Rocket, where him and Rocket both realize how much they actually have in common one with one another, which is actually one of my favorite scenes in the film. bar none, uh, it gets me emotional just thinking about it because it's, um, so, so well done in my opinion. But I think even Yondu at that point in time is having that epiphany, having that, that, that moment where he's, he's saying these things to, he's not just saying these things to rocket. Okay. He's saying Mm. these things to himself. He's, he's thinking about, as James said, his life, and everything that he and he's done and the the sins that 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 haunt him and and he and he comes to this moment in this argument with Rocket where he's not just telling Rocket the truth he's telling himself the truth and 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 it's that moment that propels Yandu to um eventually sacrifice himself uh for peter um because he realizes that his life may have been meaningless up to this point but he's going to do something anything that he can to redeem it and if that means losing his own life he's going to he's going to do it and who better to lose lose his life for than than peter that 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 kid that he may have picked up for 100% the wrong reasons to fit into a, you know, a, a, a tight space to smuggle. Um, but I think he realized over time how much he actually did, how much he actually did care for Peter and that love for Peter that, that he realized he, he had actually restored Yondu just a little bit and, um, in, in, you know, in his heart. And so I'm able to suspend some of those, some of those gripes and, and, and connect the dots a little bit more again, because of how kind of when you peel back the layers and what occurred there relationally and emotionally, um, you know, I'm still able to connect with it and not everybody can do that. Not everybody can look at that and go, "Oh, well, that wasn't a huge stretch." I, I don't, I don't have that issue, you know. When I think back through, uh, you know, Yondu and and Peter's tumultuous journey, you know, we there was some convenient exposition that occurred that was mentioned briefly just a few minutes ago, where Sean's Sean Gunn's character, which by the way, can Sean Gunn just be in more? Things like mm, that. I love that. Like, Why wasn't like, more bit roles more? like that, please? Because he was hilarious, absolutely hilarious. And uh, but but there was that convenient exposition where where you know one of the Ravagers played by played by Sean Gunn says you know you're always taking up for him. Um, basically, you you never Yondu. After all this time that we've had Peter and you've threatened him, you have not once followed through on it and yes it may have been convenient Mm -hmm. exposition but I still think it worked because it it showed us even with just those simple few lines that man what we saw of Yondu in volume one wasn't the whole story and in fact the crew and in fact the crew is a bit frustrated with Yondu because Peter's not dead yet (laughs) Okay, Peter's not dead yet, and it's Yondu's fault. And there's a mutiny. Be- there's a mutiny in part because of it, because he's soft on Peter. We find out that he's soft on Peter, and so I'm able to. Fr- I'm able to forgive
0: those, those, those gripes. It is. It is kind of funny that he just accidentally starts mutiny. I didn't mean to do a mutiny. <laughs> they killed all my friends. <laughs> he's so adorable and pathetic. <laughs>
2: Yeah, he, he is he is, and we haven't even gotten to Baby Groot yet.
0: So. But since we're we're on that topic, Baby Groot, yeah, yeah, um, he's hilarious. He's adorable. He's he's a baby. <laughs> he's a tree baby. Like it, I love just how well observed, like his his mannerism, just all the things he does. Like it's really true to what it is. It's like dealing with a real baby. Mm-hmm. Um. Like even in that opening sequence where Groot's just dancing around and he goes up to Gamora's like, get out of here, you're gonna get hurt. And he waves, he's like, Hi, <laughs> and then flies away. He's like, Yeah, I love Gamora. Smile at you, in that moment. You ha- yeah, if a baby waves at you, you are contractually obligated to say hi back. Like it's it's the way of the world.
2: Yeah, even if you're Gamora, you're 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 obligated yeah. to uh to smile back. And uh uh Groot serves baby Groot actually serves a really interesting purpose. In this film, because he represents innocence, um, because Baby Groot is so blissfully unaware of any danger, he is the danger. or consequence around him. He causes yeah. the danger. He doesn't realize he's causing the danger. I think he knew it when that, he killed
0: that, that oh,
1: Ravager.
2: Well, sure, <laughs> sure. He he certainly did. He certainly did in that. Even
1: point. his little scream of anger is adorable.
2: It, it it is, but even that was such a it was a toddler's scream. And I have a three and a half year old. Those things okay? are terrifying. And and I've and I've seen it happen and it is absolutely terrifying. And and so so Baby Groot is an interesting contrast with the other characters. And because whereas for the most part the other characters are having to come to terms with reality baby Groot creates his own <laughs> um he has his own reality that he lives in and it is and is and it is for the most part untainted by what is going on around him I mean even, even towards the, the 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 climax of the film when you have which I think is an expertly comical scene uh in, in fact between between right between rocket and and Baby Groot and the Red Button, which I think is so good, so good. And even in that moment when everyone's life is on the line, Baby Groot is jacking around <laughs> like it's some type of, you know, like it's some type of game. And and so I think that that's that's a pretty fascinating uh, contrast that that James Gunn wrote into the script of guardians of the galaxy 2 he wanted at least one character to to represent um childlike innocence when all the other characters around them were having to come to terms with with a different reality with their with their nostalgia or their imagination or their preconceived notions of how things should should be coming to terms with with how life and reality actually exists for them and that's 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 my commentary on on baby Groot's character and how and the purpose i think he serves
0: and another huge thing i think he he serves as is he's like he's he's the guy everybody is everybody loves like he's literally he's the baby of the family and like everyone is there to take care of and to protect him like there's just a shot in, in in the beginning as they're running away from the Sovereign uh, gunships where like group flies out of a seat. Quill catches him yep. and then tosses him back to, to Drax. Like everyone is there for him or at the end of the funeral where Gamora has him. And then he kind of like reaches for Drax and then she hands him over to Drax and he c- kind of cuddles him. It's like he, he's, he's literally the baby of the family and everyone – they may hate each other but don't you dare touch our little brother kind of thing. Um, I love that. It's this kind of thing they can all – you know, join together around in loving this adorable little thing.
2: Yes. And isn't it interesting how after Ego's actual father fails and he has to come to terms with with that and then losing his actual father, his father not being who he expected him to be. And then Yondu, um, who in many ways is the only... Father figure, however imperfect he had, is gone. And we have Yondu's funeral. Peter... You're make me cry. ...at the very end becomes a paternal father to Greece. Yeah. That's, that's important. Um, that's important for for. For for Peter's development in particular,
0: yeah, that the whole funeral scene is a masterpiece. I think the tiny little Groot reaching for the headphones the way they do, and your know, father and son's playing as he's you know kind of coming to terms with the fact that he's now a parent for baby Groot. And he, just, he just lost his own parents, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know Chris Pratt is acting up a storm, and it's just it's beautiful.
2: And then you have teenage Groot, which is even worse. <laughs> you know, I, I really
0: do hope. They, they didn't play much. They didn't really play with the the, you know, the father side angle between Pratt and Groot in Infinity War Endgame. I, I hope it's something that comes back in Guardians 3.
1: I, I like him. I think he's adorable. The, the like, shot of, only Do only
0: like art games. Bye-bye. We'll see you later. <laughs>
1: no, <laughs> it's just the, the only reason it's not... Well, I'll, I'll talk about that in just a, a second. But I, there, I think he's adorable. Just unequivocally adorable. The shot of him walking by the cage, just sopping wet, just breaks my heart. I actually so I really I ninety-nine percent love him. I think the only the only thing that keeps me from one hundred percent loving him is is the scene with him getting the fin. Just <laughs> infuriates me. Uh, I think it's super man. cringy.
2: Yeah, you've gotta you gotta have more joy in your life, I think.
1: Ah, <laughs> man, I lo- I got me some joy I don't I got-
2: know what it is, but I just giggle so profusely. During that scene, I can't help myself, and yeah, I go with my gut. I just couldn't help myself.
1: Either. I I'm jealous of people who do. It's just, for me, it was like I felt like I was watching Dora the Explorer. They're like, is this the so and so? No, I'm like, oh no. But stop. but it's Move totally.
2: On. It is totally. I will say this though, it's completely in line with how Gunn wrote Baby Groot as a character. Though I mean, everything that Baby Groot does is is like he's finding it out for the first time. It's very much a
0: baby's journey.
1: Yeah. It's also like a five-minute scene. Oh, I know, I, I know. that I does know, give
0: dry. me one of my favorite bits of dialogue from the from the, uh, movie. It's like, you know, he's relieved you don't want him to wear it. He hates hats. Oh, not, anyone, not just himself. <laughs> one minute he thinks someone has a worshipped head, then that he has that head is part of a hat. That's why you don't like cats. Okay,
1: and I was, I had that in my notes because I put this down as, like, a moment that I didn't like, but I had to add the caveat. I love that line. I love how, just as a matter of fact, he said, one second, you think that it's got a weird-shaped head, the next, and and then he's like, the the implication of this being, like, a long-standing, like, acknowledged thing between he and Rocket where he's like, really? Like, after everything, like, all of the conversations, I'm just now finding out this is why. Yeah, I love that bit.
2: Yeah, that's, that's good stuff uh but yeah rocket
0: I like what they do with rocket I, I I gotta complain some more I feel like the entire first act is just gone tr- just contriving conflict where like I like the ideas behind it, but it, it all of it just kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere where it just they're flying through the astral field and they're just fighting because it's a sitcom and for this week's conflict, they got to fight. And just the, all the arguments in the first act are just so cringe with it. Also, throughout the rest of the film as well. But they're just so cringe with neither, it. Neither side really feels true. And it just feels so exaggerated. And everyone's just yelling at each other. And it's just. It doesn't feel like real arguments. It just it feels like something that was written because we have to have conflict. So we got to force these characters to the max so they, they can be mean to each other. So then we can have the reunion at the end. And like the reunion at the end is really sweet. Rockets watching the fears like they came back for him, even though he was mean. Oh, and he yelled yeah. at them and he stole batteries he didn't need. Like <laughs> That's a great, beautiful moment. But the conflicts that got us there are in- immensely frustrating to me. Like I think a lot of that is summed up in that, that the uh, argument between Quill and Gamora, uh, where he's talking about Cheers. And, you know that this show sucks and it would get zero ratings. Like, just shut up, you two. I don't care. This is so stupid. Nothing here makes sense. I don't. Uh, it's, it's just really annoying to me. Now you can praise it, Josh.
1: Uh, <laughs> or shapes. I think <laughs> I think we should just talk about Rocket. That's <laughs> what I think we should do. We'll get to Rocket. <laughs> well, I'll I'll give my my two cents on that real quick. Uh, and then we just talk about rocket as a character because I I mean I think that I mean th- this is his kind of this is his character arc you know and and like you know my complaints really are just like I love so many of the ideas and sometimes it's the execution that gets me I do like kind of agree with that in which I I, I do think there's I think it is a little contrived in, in how the conflict arises where like w- whenever quill is walking with the end he's like are you just trying to like be a jerk to everybody or, or whatever it is. I'm like man this This whole team is, like, as the first one claimed, like, what a bunch of A-holes. Everybody's kind of just constantly being a jerk to to somebody. Uh, They're all kind of bad people growing together. Um, And, yeah, like, but I think Rocket is definitely the most self-interested one, the most selfish one, and I think there would have been, like, he's the natural person, if you're going to go with this route, he's the natural character to do it with. I just think that they could have found, like, worked it in a less, like, kind of like here's the here's the billboard sign you know letting you know that this is what we're doing with this character worked it in a little bit more organically um i, I think
0: something they could have done was where you have that whole monologue uh for that yadu gives you know where every, every time someone gets close and you feel a little bit of love you know you got to run away before you know it can hurt you and like then do that like have him act you know have him actually you know do something out, out of fear or out of greed or just like like C, you you are me whereas you know Yandu had his family and then Yandu drove them away because he got greedy. He he had this one good thing and his stupidity lost it. Like and just, just like stealing batteries just for the heck of it. Like I don't know, I feel like if if you did something that was motivated in character, in his fears, in his greed, in his selfishness, it would have felt more natural than just he just does something stupid because and, just for the heck of it.
1: Yeah, and that was as a result of him kind of clamming up because of how close they were.
0: Yeah, I think I think
2: the the instance of him him stealing from the sovereigns was a was it was an instance of Rocket's impulsive greed, you know, it's kind of that oh shiny moment, you know, I'm going to take it. So it was certainly born out of greed and it's even mentioned how much those are worth. And all Rocket has ever known is hawking things that he's <laughs> that he's stolen for 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 money, and so I think that that moment was certainly in character for him to do. But I do agree and see where you're saying in that it would have been probably beneficial to have a another moment in the film tied directly to him, uh, him. Him trying to run from the, you know, from this new family. I will say, I will say that, that I think that once they crash land on that planet, which is Rocket's fault, by the way, 100% which also bothers
0: Ro- me because they I, I think that whole argument is fake so, and contrived. Well, well,
2: <laughs> I don't, well the, that, that entire crash landing is Rocket's fault. It's the consequence of his uh, spontaneous greed and not thinking about others and considering others and not considering the the uh the the new family that's around him and they experience consequences as a result of of Rocket's actions and he is called out on it. He's called out on it by almost everybody and he hates that and and it repels him. And no, he doesn't ever run away, and he he sticks around because I think something inside of him, you know, is saying, "Well, this is still the best I've got, and it's better than what I had before." You know, I was a lab rat, essentially. You know, beforehand, um, or as Thor would call him, Rabbit, <laughs> uh, uh, which is still so funny. Uh, and so I I do think that that enough of that that relational conflict is, you know, is there where instead of Rocket accepting responsibility for what he did when he's called out for it, he lashes out at everyone else instead. And so there is a pushing away that occurs. You can call it contrived uh, if you want. I think that I just kind of, I can get overly sentimental and and wrapped up in in I guess these these moments and these characters I I guess I've said before just from a subjective standpoint in all of the MCU this is my favorite cast of characters and for some reason and we kind of all have a particular part of the MCU that that we've kind of latched on to over the past 10 plus years and kind of called it our own and 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 these are these are those movies for me and and so for 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 all the faults of of guardians of the galaxy uh especially the the well particularly volume two i think volume one is 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 a practically perfect movie in every way um um and i'll i'll say that it ranks extremely high on my all-time favorite comic book movies list and volume two is substantially lower because i i see the faults that it has but um but uh for rocket in in his journey i I, while i think that there could have been some more connective tissue there um he does have that moment where instead of accepting responsibility he pushes everybody away and makes makes them hate him and makes them wonder whether he's even worth the trouble and so i think that that's worth pointing out at least
1: Yeah, yeah i think my so like i i see what it accomplishes and i'm this is going to be kind of what I'm saying for a lot of my faults is there's just enough that works in there for me that I I'm able to buy it and I go through with it for the sake of the film. I don't think it's like well you pulled that out of nowhere. Um, right. It's just well, like it's
2: a, it's a willing suspension of disbelief.
1: Yeah, because right, I like I mean like you I I love these characters even throughout volume two. You know despite me liking this significantly less than the first one because like you said, like like you said about the first one I think the list of flaws of the first one is like. Man, you need one hand. <laughs> you know, it's just so right. good. The the um, only
2: art the only criticism I can even think of volume one is that, oh hey, Ronan could have been yep. more a bit more intimidating and fleshed out.
1: Yeah. But but uh, we,
2: we're we're not we're not rehashing volume one right now. Yeah. So
1: uh but but for me just like with with this thing, like the 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 whole stealing the batteries and and what that's doing to the group, I I just feel like that's more of a hey, you were an idiot again. Like that wasn't a hey. You're you're not accepting us as family. You're intentionally trying to drive us away. You're like, they they treat that moment as if it was an act of malice against the group itself, as opposed to just an act of very like inward selfishness. Uh, I just I wish that the the inciting incident for Rocket's arc itself was a, a result of him kind of getting antsy and nervous about the closest he feels to them. Like if he had done something rash on his own terms, uh, like if, if there was something he had to do and he tried to do it himself in the opening of the film instead of asking the group and that's what crashed them on the planet. Then it's like, Hey, like, you know, cause, and then you have that. And then you go into like the whole uh, like them, him trying to take over control of, uh, of the Milano and everything that would be like, Another example of of him doing something himself, but if you were to instead of the batteries if you were to have Have that be it like this thing that has to get done and that he could have called on help for but He kind of fears You know just the like of asking for help kind of acknowledging the family that is forming and he does it He tries to do it by himself and then he messes it up because then the inciting incident is a direct result of this kind of fear of of, uh, of intimacy as opposed to just mm-hmm. like a, a more arbitrary kind of I, "I stole batteries" kind of thing.
0: I, I do want to talk, move on. We'll, we'll get on to the rest of the characters, but I do want to talk about some of the uh, fi- the overall filmmaking. Um, this film is wildly different to me, at least than the first film. I think the entire cinematic style feels very different. Um, well, I, I, it's it's visually breathtaking to me.
2: I'll put that it's, out there. It's visually a lot. <laughs> It's it's breathtaking. Uh, it is a it is a whew, man, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. Uh, but yeah, yeah go I, Gabe.
0: go. I think an aspect of that is you know, having is having the new cinematographer. Um and I also think uh James Gunn is far more confident with CGI in this film. Like the the first film was you could there was a lot of sets and like at most locations were like these huge expansive sets. I feel like this film is more is way more green screen. And something we talked about in the first film is that there was a really, something about the cinematography felt very almost like drab and and just kind of bland, it, it, but in a good way, because it made everything, all the sets look super real. Every, everything about the film just felt very tangible, like you could, you could touch it. None of that <laughs> really comes over with this film. This film, for me, the colors are incredible. It is so insanely colorful, and there's a lot of, Incredible imagery, but for every incredible image, for me, there's about three that just looks like CGI vomit, (laughs) and there's just a lot of that. I think the entire climax, especially, just gets honestly super dull because it's just so much CGI and like. And I feel the 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 action in the first film was really, really grounded. It was mostly just people, you know, being filmed doing action things, whereas the action in this film. It's just CGI doubles flying around, blasting other CGI things, and it doesn't have the structuring of like a Russo action sequence or like the first Avengers action sequence where there's a a build and a flow and a rhythm. It's just a lot of CGI smashing into a lot of other CGI, and it's super rubbery and just – I don't know. It, it It gets really frustrating for me. Especially considering just how I think how, how perfect the, the sci-fi vision was in the first film. This film just feels like he just got he just got way too ahead of himself and just blah, CGI. All right. Well, $200, $200 million
2: <laughs> bought a lot of it did. stuff. It bought a lot of stuff for, for sure.
0: There's a lot of stuff in this movie. <laughs>
2: there, there's a lot of stuff in this movie. I, 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 I disagree uh, but what I'll say ultimately um, is that I loved the grounded feel of Volume One, and think that that served that film and that particular story that was being told. I think the way that the visuals, at least for the most part, play out in Volume Two, the cinematography, the shots, the um, uh, the, the 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 color palette, even. Um, Serves the the theme of of Volume Two extremely well. How, how so? How, what, what do you what do you mean by yeah, that? Yeah, so so visually with with Volume Two, you have <laughs> you have a a a a collision of of those very bright colors, especially on Ego. Um, Uh, the living planet on, on Ego's planet, that fantasy world, Uh, by the way, which we may not even have time to get into and why it's so important that they spent so much time on this, this fantasy world, this, this mirage and how that plays into the overall theme, theme of the film. But you've got Ego, the living planet, which is actually, when you, when you think about the color palette of the film, it is actually the brightest and most eye popping, uh, location in the, in that film. Um, the, uh, the, the other, the other sets and locations and the way they're shot, it is actually a bit, a bit more drab, a bit more, um, uh, dark. And, and I think that that's on, on purpose too. Um, I think that that is meant to serve, um, Kind of precisely what what each individual character um what each individual character is is going through you know at that at that part, particular time and then you have ego the living planet which is this just full of color and and eye-popping and, and gorgeous almost like this um you know this this fantasy world um that they're all taken up in and and mesmerized by for a time and and that all and that all comes crashing down that fantasy um that that's there um is exposed uh for what it is and and so i i say all that to say that there's 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 intentional contrast in this film between between ego's planet and and the the color palette that's used for a majority of the other um, uh, scenes and set pieces in the film. And when you rewatch it, you'll, you'll, you'll notice it, you know, even more, there are more, there are more blacks and, and browns and, um, and dark greens. And uh, as opposed to uh, on Ego's planet, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing dark at all. It's all bright and cheerful and, and, And and lovely, um, and and they're like I said, they're all kind of taken up uh, with it, and and I don't think that that's um, by mistake. Um, Gunn is uh, a visual storyteller, uh, first and first and foremost. I think I think he likes to tell a lot through just showing, um, uh, um, while at the same time balancing that with some you know, with the dialogue and yes, even some, some necessary exposition. Uh Gabe would call that contrived. It's not the exposition. No, I, know, I, know,
0: the con, I know. The conflicts themselves. I, I'm messing with you. I'm totally messing <laughs> with, it's with funny, you. It's funny. Like, actually, I have a note that some of my favorite scenes in this movie are the exposition, but it's when uh, uh Kurt Russell is giving the exposition. Yeah. That's the uh, good stuff. He
1: can, ex- he can just give me a whole movie of exposition and I'm there.
2: I know. Right, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, uh, I, I think I, at least generally illustrated my point about the, the contrasting, you know,
0: color palettes in the film. But. I love that concept, but I'm not, I'm not sure I agree that there is any substantial difference in coloring between mm-hmm. Yandu's planet. Like it is particularly colorful, but remembering You're like Ego's planet. Th- yeah but ego's planet and the rest of the movie like thinking back to the opening sequence of the the creatures literally vomiting rainbows and the sovereigns all the gold and every space thing is just like nebulas everywhere and i aside from like the ravager ship which is pretty dingy i don't i don't think there's all that much contrast hmm. between yondu's hmm. planet and i see everywhere else i or, see you hmm. james how do you
1: uh, so to this point, and then I'll just give my thought, my quick thoughts on like just what I think of the production design and everything. But that I see the contrast that Josh is talking about, but almost more so in just like the physicality of things. Because um, mm-hmm. we we talked, you know, on the on the volume one episode, just that move, just as a piece of sci-fi action, volume one works so well visually. Because like the, the my go-to one is just like the the prison, like that is. That is a huge set, and any sort of CGI is just like this perfect bit of extending what's already physically there. And there's almost nothing in its entirety that you're having to be like, okay, there you go. Even when we're in nowhere, like we've got those streets and the buildings and the vat that it gets thrown into, there's always something so tangible. And here, um, I do think there is a you know a decent bit of difference in the color, but mainly for me, it's like uh, on Ego's planet everything looks so soft and gelatinous and like it's just the way you know like whenever he he dies or reforms or anything like or or just the things he creates it almost looks like when if if y'all ever had moon sand or ever watched the commercials for moon sand growing up like it has that weird mm-hmm. bit of like squishy soft physicality to it um mm-hmm. that's what's weird to me is like a, a, there is a lot of cgi in here but they like they change the look of it just enough for me where it's like, that feels... That does feel kind of like something that I could touch. Like, whenever his face caves in on itself, it really does look like there's, like... Like, you know, just, like, wet sand falling in on itself. Um, uh, mm-hmm. But, like, it, it's still I expect like, Willy
2: Wonka to pop out, like, any time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Perfect.
0: I just but. wrote... When we got to Ego's plan, I just wrote my notes, so much CGI.
2: <laughs> and see, I've actually... It doesn't bother me. It, for, like, I, I don't, I don't mind like,
0: CGI in principle, but I don't like when it looks
1: like CGI. So for me, and, and so this will be me getting more to like my my thoughts on on the overall thing is there the bits of CGI that I don't like aren't actually just the the locations. The bits of CGI that I don't like are, are like the CGI bottle, body doubles. Like I I kind of hate Drax outside of the Milano as they're crashing, just like bashing into five thousand trees.
0: Is he supposed to be indestructible? That's the thing, like, like it, I mean, he gets thrown around I'm assuming by... so, because he bashed into 5,000 trees, but... Yeah,
1: that's the thing. like, that, it feels like there's a bit of, like, just discontinuity with the first one, where, like, he gets tossed around by Ronan, you know, and it's seen, like, there's just an idea of, like, getting hit by stuff hurts, and in this one, it's just, like, we're throwing him around, and, like, the other bit that I'm not a big fan of... Um, even though I kind of like the compass, like everything looks kind of cool in the frame, it's just in motion. I, I'm not a fan of is whenever you got the two different groups of people flying up and then flying back down that that rockets got. And It's like a lot of these Ravagers, like I'm assuming if if they're not human, they're like they're they've got human like qualities and they're just like getting tossed up and down like this hundred foot and and it's, it's all very Looney Tunes. Yeah, that that's exactly what I thought. It's like this feels cartoonish in a way that like. I get that Guardians is the more, like, this is, like, the super crazy, wacky, zany sci-fi version. But, like, there's still a level of, like, physicality that you have to maintain. Like, you have to maintain physical continuity between the MCU. Like, there's only so much leeway you can get if it's all supposed to be one world. And uh, so, that's the kind of CGI that bothered me here is just, like, the action choreography and the the body doubles and everything. It feels very weightless. But I am more forgiving of everything on Ego's Planet being CGI because it's just this world that he's constantly like creating. I don't think it's supposed to feel like completely real. And I love like the the baby blues and soft pinks and yellow like this the overall color palette of Ego's Planet I really love. I love the production design of everything. Like just the the platform that they're on, just like the way that kind of creates itself, that's another like CGI object but there's something about it that looks like uh, like real but otherworldly real, like I think I could touch that but it would feel weird kind of thing as opposed to like, oh, that's just a computer generated object. Um, And like the the bubbles that they touch, it all just feels like, that feels like it'd be weird to touch. Like it kind of does look like it's there but it's just weird and and i'm okay with that just because of of the location that is this ever evolving thing where you can create whatever you want and it, it is just this entirely you know fantastical element um so it's like the yeah the physical stuff itself i'm usually okay with it's it's mainly just like bits of action where where the cgi gets on my nerves and, and we still get a couple of good set like uh, a couple of good sets built like i i really love as ridiculous as it is, I really love making the the sovereign's arm into a bunch of arcades, uh, <laughs> and like that looks real. That like, and that's another bit where I think the coloring and everything, you know, it is colorfully like vibrant. But that's I don't For really sure. put that in line with like the oh this volume two setting itself apart from the first one because of how practical it looks, and because the first one still did have its own bits of like. You know, like it was still colorful, just a bit more muted. And so, like, just they're all gold, and this is a a set, and they're all painted gold. You know, like I felt like that stuff, and then being back on the Ravager Ravager ship, there was just everything external to Ego's planet. I feel like had just enough of like that Volume One look, that like the the visual difference felt intentional because we're on this living planet that's mm-hmm. building these fantastical otherworldly things. Hmm. I just
0: did not get that disconnect at all between that place and everywhere else. Because like if that's the case, wouldn't ego have been like this weird, like motion capture Tarkin from <laughs> Rogue One or something?
2: I don't know. I don't know, Gabe.
1: Well <laughs> 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 he was one like, like it.
0: I well, the planet like itself
1: it. is just his own imagination or whatever he can do, but you've got like the actual dialogue where he's like, I wanted to look and feel I wanted to be human, you know. I don't think Mm -hmm. he's put that, on like that stipulation on what he creates on his own world. But he he himself wanted to look and feel the same way that we do.
2: To to which Peter says, "I'm gonna make some weird stuff," which is one of my favorite.
1: (laughs) I love which I'm censoring
2: intentionally, but it's one of my favorite lines in the movie, just because he's just so like he's he's so giddy at that point because he's. The this the the nostalgia that he's built up in his mind he thinks is coming to is finally coming to fruition he's finally going to be be able to recapture that feeling that that um that that he's lost you know and so yeah it's a funny line but it expresses Peter's inward desire to um to recapture the past which is impossible and in fact is another theme of the film about uh uh you know the desire to to recapture a a certain event or feeling from the past um and how that comes into conflict with with the the present and the and the future uh too
0: well since we're on ego um how do you guys feel about him I I
1: actually, I, I had no opinion the first viewing, but I've actually come to really like him as a villain. Um, but bef- like pre-reveal, I like that he's just this guy telling Peter everything he wants to hear. You know, like mm-hmm. he's being this father. He's showing real remorse. Their Their conversation before they play catch, I think is some of the best bit of acting in the movie. Yeah. I had to watch her die. Oh, it's it's so good, and they're both raising their voices. I mean, You've got these two great actors, uh, who I think really work well as father and son. I mean, I, I, Kurt Russell could probably be you know be anyone's father in any, any film. Like he's uh, he's the dad, and except Death f- Proof. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't much of I'll a father there. figure there. There's a 2005 <laughs> movie called Sky High that's super fun, and he's a dad in that, and it's great. Go check it out. Um, but, anyways. So, like, there's there's these moments where he's showing remorse. And then, you know, they, they bond over um, Brandy and everything. It's just, he's constantly telling him what he needs to hear. And he's like, there's, it, it all sounds so convincing in the moment. And I, whenever, you know, he says, you know, the line is like, I, I hated to have to put that brain tumor in your mother. And first of all, you know, here's precedence for Peter acting out. It viscerally in a moment. So, shut Mm. up, people who don't like him in Infinity War.
2: Yeah, I could go on a rant about that. But, uh, against those people. Yeah. But these are the same people that think
0: Luke doesn't get violent when people threaten his family. Yeah.
2: No, Luke never does that. He's never done that at all.
1: (laughs) But, uh, but like after the reveal, it turns out like he's just this, you know, surprise, surprise based on his name. He's just this egotistical, like maniacal, malevolent, like pretty. blatantly like malevolent god-like creature that was only like small g god yeah Yeah. there you go when he's feeling as humble as Drax but like everything before has just been this ruse it's just constantly feeding Peter what he needs to hear and as soon as he's exposed he just (laughs) turns into this like hateful vindictive like revealing of who he's been I I love the like after he shoots him and he starts forming he's like what are you doing and he's just like constantly angry because like i've shown you eternity i've shown you what we can do and like i've bent over backwards to get you on my side and he's just treating him like this like this child who should see the big picture and he's just like so angry that this whole movie's worth of like trying to lull him into like this plan he's just he's spiteful the rest of the time and i i actually he doesn't
2: get it he doesn't get that peter isn't
1: grateful right yeah yeah
0: I like that the entire film, the entire film that when he's trying to woo Peter by like, if you're my son, then you are special that like, you are something else. You're beyond mortals. You know, you will be a, a-, a God like me, essentially every time they're talking, like you're more than everyone else or forget your friends. They're mortals. They're cursed, but you, you're something else. And, like th- he brings with, with, even with just being a father, which like, I-, I think that's the, f- the cool thing is that or Ego thinks that, you know, it has to be more, he can't just be a father to him. He has to, you know, be able to elevate Quill to something else for them to, you know, to have that relationship. And I guess, you know, going back to Yandu, it's the, the one father figure offers the world, but doesn't actually care about him. And the other father figure, you know, it really has nothing to offer and a lot to a lot to t- you know a lot of bad things that come with it but he's also but he's he's at least going to be there and he actually cares about Quill.
1: Yeah. And so I just pre and post like reveal um I I really <laughs> I really like the change in performance too like just an angry Kurt Russell is <laughs> just so entertaining.
2: Well, and, and 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 a true test of a villain like that is immediately when that was revealed you wanted that villain to die a horrible death. <laughs> Yeah. I mean you mm-hmm. you 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 were automatically on Peter's side automatically. you know if you, if you if you were if you were back and forth and kind of trying to figure out throughout the film kind of who this guy was, that that's the turning point where 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 the viewer goes.
0: I hate him. Yeah I mean, because we like we watched Meredith quill die too and that's a horrible painful scene. And you know, that that's what traumatized Quill throughout the entire first movie. So that moment, you're like, you want to pull out your guts and shoot ego right alongside of him. Mm-hmm. And I love him up until that moment. But I think after that scene, I kind of forget he's in the movie. Because everything is it's he's just a planet then. And you know, he comes back every now and then, but he's this weird gray, crumbly thing. And then the sovereign are coming out. Then it's just, they're fighting rocks and they're fighting these weird blue gooey light things. And honestly, like I just forget about the character pretty much after that scene. Like he's such a wonderful, charismatic and likable presence. And then he's just blah. CGI thing.
2: There, there was a video that I watched and it's funny, regardless of how you think, but he called the, the, the blue stuff, uh, you know, that starts consuming earth, just he called it like CGI diarrhea or something like that, and which I I chuckled uh, when when I heard that. Uh, but I mean, I think it works as an extension of ego because, um, and I accepted it didn't disconnect me. Um, at least not that I, not not that I not that I remember because you know that that humanoid version of ego was always an illusion anyway and and once he he sheds that we see ego for who he who he really
0: really is which is just something that is so far beyond anything like i don't understand what he wants to be everything he wants to be everywhere cool like I don't, I don't i don't know how to emotionally relate to the idea of needing to to be on every planet see i mm-hmm.
1: that's part of what makes it work for me personally and like and the reveal of of him just being this plant like this body gets crumbled and we're fighting all this it's kind of this this reminder of like yeah there was there was no chance for relationship here you know like everything like the physical body all of it is just this fabrication to lure him into a into a state that could like convince him to join him and then we it's like it is this thing above us you know like we this is this is not um. this is not something that could have been a, a father to you. um, And like, I, I, I like the way they like make, they personify him enough throughout, like <laughs> where you've got, like he's forming that face with the rocks. Um, It reminds hmm. me of like a, I don't know, like a, a boss on some old school video game. And then you, the, the Pac-Man thing is awesome. Um, I it, I... Yeah, I, I don't know what my problem is, but
2: for whatever reason and it's part of what's so divisive about the movie james gunn it lacked what some would would call restraint (laughs) in this (laughs) film you (laughs) think and 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 i was there for every insane moment for whatever reason i was there for it i was accepting it And, and I, it's difficult for me to explain beyond, beyond that. I was, I was there for it and I was enjoying it. And, and maybe it's because this is all I can figure. Had it just been that, that element of it, you know, James Gunn going, going crazy and, and, um, And everything and basically writing down maybe the very first thing that comes into his mind. Oh, we're going to turn him into, we're going to turn him into Pac-Man. That's hilarious. Uh, Had it just been those kinds of things in a vacuum and that's all the film was and there wasn't the, these characters that I cared about and them dealing with their stuff and learning how to become a better, stronger family together um, had those scenes, in my view, not been handled like like they were, um, then I would be I'd be right there with with everybody else who 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 criticizes it, because I would just say that it's a you know, it's a lifeless, you know, CGI diarrhea fest. <laughs> and we're only supposed to just kind of ooh and ah in in spectacle and zany spectacle at that and not, not feel or experience anything, anything else. Um, but because I think he still anchored those characters in the love and the care that he, he has for them, you know, he gave these characters life and put them to screen in the first place. I think that that, that love and that care is very present um, in in volume two, and I think that that's what still makes it work.
0: Mm, yeah, for, for me, they, like they, like this finale is pretty much what people criticize every other Marvel finale for being like just a lot of CGI. And, like, we have to have a battle, so we're gonna have a battle. Not, it doesn't really feel like that's what the story was demanding, and I think that's why like mm. they, he had to bring in all the sovereigns who just who really don't matter to the story, and it's really. Kind of confusing to me why he even brought them to the climax. They're
2: using hyperspace tracking. Is that a different movie? That's, <laughs> uh, that's
0: a good, they can do that. It's a different yeah, uh, like I just—it feels like he's just—he had to have a battle because Marvel asked for a battle. It just—it for me, none of there's no emotion to it. It doesn't feel—it doesn't feel like there's any kind of flow to it. It just feels like a lot of disparate events, <laughs> and that's a, also that's a microcosm of the entire movie for me. Where I'm gonna get into a larger complaint, unless y'all had something else to say about the climax.
2: Um, uh, no, I'll say that it made total sense for ego. I mean, it made total sense for ego and and Peter to fight, and and yeah. and perhaps the argument is that still could have been fantastical, that still could have been a spectacle and really cool because you have two demigods fighting each other, you want that to be.
0: Cool. I didn't. I, I um, hated the visuals of them flying. Uh,
2: I, I mean, I, I again, I, 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 bought into it, hook, line, and sinker. Uh, so sue me. But, but, um, I, I do see what people. I, I do, I do see what people say about kind of bringing in the sovereign at, at the end. It, it was an attempt to create some additional, you know, stakes. Um, and I get why he did it. From a, from a structural standpoint I get what when you know he's towards the end of writing this thing and he's like I, I need some more stakes here some some more things have gotta gotta happen you know let's let's come full circle and and you know I'm bringing the sovereign who are who are still really pissed off
1: <laughs> mm.
2: about the batteries and yeah, I- and I get, I get once he got to that point because you got to get into the the mind of a of a filmmaker here who has written this kind of unconventional thing in the first place. Um, why he made that decision? I, I totally get why he made the decision.
0: Oh, I, I totally get why it happens, but I feel like the why is so obvious. Like, it, like you can feel the movie being written because. Like not because this is where it's naturally going to go, but because of like genre expectations, and I just feel like the the writing and the the behind the scenes is so much more obvious in this film than a lot of others that feel like for me like the the thing a movie needs to do is is conv- is just sweep you up in and of itself and convince you that this this happened because it it had to happen it was the only possible course of action given all the events leading up to it whereas this film really just feels like a series of scenes. Like, I don't think this film even has a plot. Like, I, there are so many times in this movie where I... And that's a problem? Yes, as in, where, like, 50% of this movie, I'm just kind of sitting like, hmm. where are we going? Why is this scene happening? I don't really... I'm I, I, I'm vaguely bored for about 50% of this movie, which is quite rare for an MCU film. And, and I think that suffers really compared to the first film, where, like, every scene had so was 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 doing so much for the characters and relationships and and the plot like every every scene served every purpose it, it needed like you know plot theme character all of that and even like larger mcu world building every scene was doing all of those things whereas this film you'll have a scene this scene is for a joke this scene is for drama this scene is for plot and they're just kind of laid out randomly and there's there's no I, I just feel like there's there's absolutely no driving force behind it, where it just, every time action stops, it doesn't feel like there needs to be, like, in, in a film like this, you want every scene to feel inevitable. Every in every scene, every, at the end of every scene, you're like, I can't wait to see what happens next. Like, we're moving, we're moving, we're moving. Like And this film, is like, it stops. At the end of every scene, we just stop, and we have to restart again. It's just constant stopping and restarting, rather than actually feeling like a narrative. And, and I guess if if you wanted to say he was going for, as you said, you know, that indie movie feel, fine, but I feel like it, it tries so hard to also be an action blockbuster that neither master is really served, and we kind of end up with this kind of gooey mess <laughs> somewhere in the middle, where like both sides are kind of okay, but never fully reaching the potential of either the, your, you know, your your quirky indie drama or your action blockbuster extravaganza, where as I feel like the first one, you know, perfectly served all its masters and was
1: amazing. Yeah, with just about the the ending, I, I agree. So I I'm not as critical of the finale as as you are, Gabe. But I I still like I enjoy all of them like flying around and taking shapes and him being that big rock face and stuff. It's the sovereign like I and, and
2: bringing in all the Ravagers and doing the funeral and everything too. Oh, oh that, we'll talk about that. that that's awesome yeah. stuff.
1: But just yeah, like there, that, sure. the the finale itself, like yeah, that you can tell that well, we I do we have enough. Do we? I, the gold army's here. Um, it feels very like functional. Like there's a blockbuster, and then just ab- about like the idea of the the, the film structure and, and pacing and everything. Uh, I don't know. You said like it's it's this a uh, character piece under the guise of like a, a blockbuster. To me, it does kind of feel more like half of a of a character piece mashed up with a like a blockbuster. Like it doesn't feel like. Like it's like oh you thought it was this but underneath it was this the whole time. It's like no the the scenes outside of Ego's planet are very much like here's a big MCU movie uh, and then it becomes one at the very end again. And so it's like I do feel like these battling uh, these battling movies and tones and may, maybe not tones but this just structure and pacing. Like this scene just doesn't feel like it was shot. In the same mindset as this scene, like in in in, like these shouldn't be in the same in the same movie. And I think part of like the the frustration that Gabe's feeling with like the the constantly having to stop and then restart and then stop and then restart is because like we I I wouldn't have minded if you know like I I don't hate his decision to just set it as a character like set so much of the film on ego's planet and be a character drama but this movie also has like five plot threads. And so like,
0: I think you could compare it to civil war, which was also a film that was, you know, character first plot second.
1: Yeah. And then like, there's plenty of quiet moments in that of character introspection and stuff. But here, because, because it's also so fragmented where it's like, we've got Drax and Mantis having their conversations here. Um, We've got Gamora, who's just kind of like on the sidelines, arguing with different people throughout and, there was a moment where she, she argues a lot she she like walks out uh she walks away and then nebula comes up it was whenever nebula flew at her and then that scene happened that i was like wow man this there's a lot of different plot and, and character arcs going on that that feels so disconnected where it's like we can't have this while gamora's with everybody we have to have her walk away and then we'll in a in a very isolated controlled environment we'll we'll find resolution to her and Nebula's arc. And then we've got rocket and and uh, um, yondu over here it's just so like the reason it feels so abrupt stop and then restarting is it's like well they're they're going to that big like um, that jump where it's like over 500 jumps and it, it builds up and then we're back and it's just like this very you know I again slower moving in a way that I do enjoy like in those moments I, I like i like the majority on ego's planet and i'm always there for like a comic book movie trying to not just be like it's another you know like really fast-paced action movie it's like if you want to do this i'm i'm gonna be the guy championing your right to do that but it's like okay so which is why we're all
2: fans of bvs exactly
1: yeah like i i appreciate it when movies like try to rise above genre expectations. Like, you know what? I'm going to do this. And so that's why I, I do appreciate his willingness to just be so slow and, like, yeah, we're just chilling on a planet. Like, get over it. It's what I'm going to do. I like that. It's just, it really hurts the pacing when this scene ends and, like, we're coming. You know, we're about to, co- like, come to the rescue. And then we got this slow thing. Like, we got this huge, like, space pirate mutiny. And then we're, like, kind of chilling on this planet again. It's just...
0: I, I'm go- I'm glad I'm not the only one that was really thrown off of that because I really feel like when the the the, the Ravager ship blows up and they're like, it ain't healthy to do more than fifty jumps at a time, like it, like we're going into the third act and nope, we're back at ego's planet and it stopped again. It was a really weird choice. Like I feel like that should have been kind of what sparked the third act at least. Yeah.
1: So ultimately, like I, before... I, I can't
2: explain why that wasn't jarring to me, but I just didn't have the same experience taking it in, and I and I think. Uh, again, there's a there's a bias on my part, and I'm not saying that you know I I care about these characters more than you all do. I would never ever say that. Um, I think that as much as we talk, uh, as much as we talk about film being objective, and we all champion that um, very much so, and we should because there are objective ways to to judge uh, film um, as an art form. There, there are those intangibles, and and those personal ways by which we we take in a film and art too that that sometimes simply don't uh, don't connect uh, this the same way uh, with others and and I think that this is one of those movies for me that that even though there was that stop and go stop and go stop and go when we stopped I was brought into. Gamora and Nebula's sibling rivalry. And I wanted to see what became of them. And so, and, and for example, and, and so when, when the action stopped, so to speak, the momentum stopped, I found myself being, being drawn into that quiet moment, not going, oh, I'm, I'm really feeling jostled around
1: here. Yeah, it's, I don't even mind, like, uh, us three, uh, us being fans of certain films that we are, like, I don't mind subversion. I don't mind the idea of, like, this build and then, oh, wow, we just kind of, we didn't go anywhere. Like, sometimes I can, be, whenever that's done intentionally, I like it. This, to me, felt like it was just edited and, and they didn't think about, like, what it would feel like in the moment. It didn't feel like it mm. was this intentional, like, okay. Just when, like, we're lulling them into this character piece, boom, here's actually, it, it felt very, like, hodgepodge, like, well, we've got to resolve this before the climax because we need Nebula here. Like, uh, let's have her fight with with Peter so we can we can do this. We'll throw that there just before the third act. Uh, and, like, I'm going to be repeating myself a lot, like, if, if I haven't already, but again, it's like... It all works just well enough for me to go there, and like because that nebula scene is fantastic. Yeah, that's like these scenes. While I like it, it is the tissue is is so often my issue here, or really like lack of it. Just feels like bone rubbing on bone. Like there's no. (laughs) This movie has serious arthritis. Exactly, it's like these sequences in isolation. I like. By far, like the, I like the majority of these scenes. The Gamora Nebula scene, I think it's fantastic. I love whenever she pulls her out and she's just like, you know, she admits it was just a sister that she wanted. And like the resolution to that towards the end, like at the end of the film where she's like, you know, I was just a little girl too. Like all of that. And she hugs
2: her. That hug is... And she thinks it's, it's an attack at first. Stuff. Yes,
1: yeah. that bit. Nebula like still being uncomfortable with this, Like all of these the meat of all of this, I think is just work. It it all works really well. It's just big picture. It feels like a a bit of a hodgepodge kind of.
2: It's, it's almost like Gunn wanted to make that character piece. And if he could have gotten away with doing a character drama in an MCU film with very little action whatsoever, he he may have done it. (laughs) But, but, but he couldn't do that and he knew he couldn't do that. You know, he, he knew that he had to, um, play to expectations to an extent and, and maybe that's where that, 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 that conflict, you know, you know, comes from.
0: Yeah. I I feel like the mark of the great blockbuster directors are the ones who can find that beautiful middle ground where you can perfectly serve character and and story while also giving the masses what they want. And for me, I think the jury's still out on Gun on that front, where I think the first one is a perfect action blockbuster. You know, it perfectly serves all of that. This one is a bit of a hot mess for me. And Mm. so, like, I'm, I'm really curious to see if he can, if it was just maybe greater control in the first film that made it work out so well, or... Does the freedom hurt him? Like I, I don't know. Like I don't know where he's gonna go, but I'm, I'm definitely excited to see how that turns out for the third one. Whether, whether he can find that that beautiful balance the first one had again.
2: Well, I'm just glad he's back.
0: <laughs> yes, it's gonna be a long um, behind the scenes uh, story in that be-
2: one. Because yeah, because I, I I went through some terrible times <laughs> on, on on that. I was I was uh, you know hashtag rehire gun brigade. You know for. For a while there and we, we obviously that would take a lot to take a lot to unpack uh as well because it's a that's an interesting topic in and of itself um but i'm excited for volume three very much so even though it's a ways away but uh uh in between that time we get to see how james gunn handles the suicide squad oh, yeah. which uh, I think it's already a foregone conclusion that it's going to be superior to the previous uh, Suicide Squad film because Gunn, at his worst, is not as poor as the uh, <laughs> as the first Suicide. If Squad it's movie, worse, so.
0: the the universe is going to just implode and it'll
2: yeah. be over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I enjoy that Suicide Squad movie, but I'm I'm on under no uh, delusion that it's. Good,
0: uh, but circling back to Gamora, um, like I liked her character in the first one. I thought, you know, she was kind of a side character, maybe a bit overplayed, but like there were good, cool touches, like we You know, if you help me kill Thanos, I will help you destroy a thousand worlds. Like I love, I think this film really gets, you know, gets down in her, and she has that kind of horrifying and terrifying monologue to Kraglin. You know, every time my sister prevailed, he'd replace a piece of me with a machine. She kept beating me again and again and again, you know, until he knows the sense of pro- profound unceasing pain that I know every single day. And it's like, uh-huh. and th- people complain about how Marvel will have a dramatic moment and then have a funny moment to kind of undercut it. And I, I, I don't, I don't like when that happens, but crack, crack on slide, he was like, yeah, I was talking about a pretty necklace or a nice hat. Something like the other girls go, Ooh, that's nice. Anyway, I have a I don't care if that <laughs> brings the drama to a swift
2: halt. It is one of the greatest lines I, I, I ever. I don't either. Because delivery makes a big difference. Yeah. Delivery makes it,
0: a big difference. it, 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 it shows like, like how that. affecting her speech was to him. It was like, whoa, <laughs> I was not talking about that.
1: <laughs> uh. Yeah, I, I really... This, even on the first watch, which I was not really hot on the movie at all, after... My big takeaway was like, wow, I really like Nebula as a character now. Uh, mm-hmm. Like my the two big surprises for me was was her and and Yondu. Even though, and we didn't really talk about Michael's uh, Michael Rooker's performance as Yondu when we were talking about him. He's incredible in this movie. He's like he's fun. He's everything he needs to be in the first one. And he he but makes he's like scenes
0: where he's dealing with the Ravagers actually works. I, those scenes should not work because we didn't even we didn't even know these other Ravagers existed before. He's standing there arguing with them. But he, uh, I still feel something. And, and uh, uh, Stallone, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone's in this movie for some reason. For like 5.7 seconds. Yeah, he's actually really good. He, you broke all our hearts. You betrayed the code. Which uh, is that a line from Dread? Like you betrayed the law or something. Uh, <laughs> I am the <gasps> law. I didn't break the law. I am the law. Yeah, like, yeah. Rooker makes those scenes that have zero setup and zero build up at work because I think just how good he is in that moment just screaming at Sylvester Stallone there so many manly emotions going on
2: yeah he's 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 the standout performance in the film without a doubt
1: yeah not, not to just like reframe the conversation around him again I just I, I think he's fantastic I have the Mary same Mary Poppins always deserves the conversation there you go uh, I have the same issue with you in, in the way the Ravager stuff is handled where that does kind of feel out of left field I'm like what what code was there a code to break <laughs> who are these people <laughs> uh, but it's like Okay, I'm going with it because holy crap, Rooker's phenomenal. Um, but yeah, my my big takeaways were like Michael Rooker as Yondu is at his best, and Karen Gillan as uh, Nebula mm-hmm. is like way way more of a presence now than she was in the first one.
2: And she only gets better. Endgame treats her exceptionally mm-hmm. well. Yes,
1: she's phenomenal in Endgame as well. But uh, I I I didn't like that line from Craglin the first time, but like. It really gets me <laughs> laughing now. Uh, I I do wish that like after she comes and shoots the fin off his head and then she bites it. I that joke is not funny. Uh, like the reason that that joke doesn't really work for me is just because of how much more of a present she is. Like she after she shoots that off and she walks into frame, like she strikes the coolest pose and she's like gives that little like her lines there. And it's so cool. Like this character has the capacity, uh, the capacity to be so cool, and she is so cool. Like th- one of my one of my favorite lines. I'm like, th- she's kind of a ba, is whenever it's like, a, "Careful, this is gonna hurt," and she's like, "Promises, promises." <laughs> and then like they, you know, they charge through her body and everything. It's she's a really. I didn't realize how much more of her I wanted in the movie, uh, and that's why moments like that. Kind of like, like, oh, no, 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 she's cool. Like, give her that moment. Don't, don't make it a joke. Give her the moment. Another crazy scene is
0: after she saves Gabor, like, looking at you, like, oh, get over it.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: and but you mentioned the humor. Um, another problem I have with this movie, big surprise, uh, I think about 50% of the jokes in this movie are straight up bad. And that would be okay because, you know, in most comedies, a lot of the jokes don't land. But the problem here is that. James Gunn really loves his own jokes and he stops the whole movie for every single one of them. And a lot of them keep coming back over and over again, including the, you know, the, uh, the, it's not ripe" line, which wasn't even funny. The first time it was less funny. The second time. And it was just cringy the third time. Like every joke in this film, the film completely stops, which is fine. If it's a funny joke, but it's death to, to cinema if it's not a funny joke, and so many of the jokes in this movie are just not funny.
2: Oh gosh, this this is killing me. <laughs> is killing me. I, I I felt that they were. I didn't all. I felt that they were. It was it was extensions of the of the characters. It's not like I you know kicked my head back and and laughed profusely. You know there may be there may have been a smirk here or a chuckle there and then a laugh, but but i i never um i always felt like that those lines were still acceptable extensions of of the characters and the situations that they found them themselves in you know not not everything is a is as much of a joke as it is a you know a line to, to kind of smirk at to kind of crack a slightly twisted smile but maybe that's just my sense of humor <laughs> maybe that is just my sense of humor because the rule of 3 in volume 2 i think is used quite well when it comes to humor but that's another divisive part of the film and probably an unbridgeable an un unbridgeable gap but i i think that the rule of 3 is actually used um effectively uh you might not think that that it's not ripe right joke isn't isn't funny but i i do <laughs> well
1: it's just so that uh that actually it sounds a lot like our conversation on volume one uh was just like the every every line is is an extension of the character like we we probably spent like 10 minutes just talking on that topic itself like there's rarely ever like let's throw a joke here it's just like when rocket jokes it's like this deflective kind of thing it's a defense mechanism and and like uh you know, we're introducing these characters, so all the stuff about uh, Drax, you know, not understanding metaphors, going over... Like, they're revealing of, like, okay, so that's the kind of person here. Like, here's how I can differentiate his species and, and stuff. So, and so, it's like, they are very, very clear reasons for these jokes. I I feel like a good bit of these... they're They're not extensions of anything. Like, they do feel like they like it stops being a movie at times and just turns into skits like like the baby groot bring the thing that's that's one for me i i physically cringe at the taser face stuff <laughs> it's, i i really really hate that character and like like fake fake laughter and like so like it's funny fake laughter is funny whenever it, like in the first one it's like it's real like that that bit's funny cuz it's aware but like it's not supposed to be fake. Like whenever everybody's laughing at Taserface, and you've got that, <laughs> like that, like trying to suppress laughter, it it feels like hi- a high school play of like. What teenagers think, like trying not to laugh, looks like this little snickering, and then him saying, "like just tell her that it was Taserface," and then she just like laughs at the screen. Like it feels so fake and so exaggerated. I really hate
0: every second with those Ravagers. Like, just like it's everything is played to like a hundred constantly. They're all just screaming and laughing and yelling. It just goes on and on. Just there's there's nothing to them. They just it's just all they're all just laughing and screaming and it's like it's playing that one pitch the entire time they're on screen it's really irritating to me
1: for me it does that it it's that kind of thing where i i can see the camera crew and the director behind it like i i can picture the conversation before they before they yell action it's like all right now y'all are all doing this okay like he's gonna say taser face and y'all all all have to do like y'all have all have to like Try not to laugh, and and then they do it, and they roll, and they overact. I don't know. From it's just it doesn't it doesn't feel remotely real. Uh, I I do like a lot of this movie's humor. I will say, like, there's plenty of times that I'm I'm laughing at this movie, or, or I, with this movie. I should say, like, did, did you find Drax funny? Uh, I fifty fifty. There's some stuff from him that there's a joke that I know that we that that I laughed at that I I know that you don't I I think his like their, uh Avalax batteries it's really funny it's like really I think funny. that's kind how of how is hilarious. that funny <laughs> for me it's I just it, I I no I laugh like out loud at that part every time for some reason don't or whenever it, don't Rocket understand. gets mad at him for like uh for telling him he's like <laughs> oh sorry Rocket <laughs> didn't tell anything what a mystery this is like I like. Like when it works for Drax, like I, I'm rolling. But it honestly, like, it's his lines that he speaks are usually the stuff that I laugh at. Like I think the harbillary batteries is funny just because of the like the dead pan and just and even Quill been like that that's not even remotely what I said. Um it's, whenever, it's the over-exaggeration. Like, another moment that I'm kind of like, ooh, I'm kind of cringing pretty hard right now. It's like the him trying not to throw. I was like, I'm just imagining being with you physically. I'm like, ah, this is this is too much. Rate it in. Rate it in. This is, this is... That's every single line from
0: him in this movie. Like,
1: But... I do. The scene of him and Mantis at the pond and she like feels his emotion. I love that scene so much.
2: It's lovely. It's lovely. And, 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 and in fact it is Drax who Drax is instrumental in bringing Mantis into their, into their yeah. family, um, uh, into this dysfunctional, this dysfunctional family. Cause for whatever reason, uh, Drax has some type of compassion for her. She's misunderstood. He's misunderstood. Despite her being. She reminds
0: him of his daughter, I think.
2: And yeah. And, 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 and so, uh, he, you know, he, he is able to, uh, to start living again as well. And putting, putting, his past behind him and, and Mantis is, is, is absolutely part of that, that, that puzzle piece, um, for drag.
1: Yeah. And without a doubt, w- despite him, him not being like really a character for a lot of this movie, the, one of the reasons why I love that scene so much is because it's this perfect acknowledgement of his, uh, of an arc having taken place because he's just so filled with like, uh, tunnel vision rage in the first one and for her to put Mm -hmm. her hand on him and she like he still feels that he still feels the loss but like the the scene like aside from father and son at the end the scene that makes me the most emotional is that bit there where she's just like it literally just half a second overcome with emotion and there's a there's a shot where their their faces are both in frame and she's just Mm -hmm. heartbroken and he's got this like not resonate like but this like contentment, this acknowledgement that it's happened, you know, it's, there's nothing I can do. And so to, no, to look at his face, I think between like this and especially like 2049 and and the short, the little short thing that they did before 2049, I think he has the capacity to really be a good dramatic actor. But like that, that scene of him just looking out, no seeing his face and then seeing a physical representation of the pain that he has to carry with him at all times. The fact that this Rage Shield guy from the first movie is now able to contain this, not you know, like not forget it, not lose it but just deal with it in a healthy way by like embracing this new family. I feel like of all of these characters going through these arcs, like he, I kind of like that he doesn't have to go through an arc because he's just like this is my family. Like I, I kind of dealt with my crap in the first one.
2: Well, and that's, that's, that's Drax in a lot of guard. uh, uh, You're right. I mean, that, that is Drax in a good portion of volume two. He's, he, he has accepted this as his new family and, and he's, and he's happy again and he's content again. And he wants to show others how to move beyond their crap. um, Instead, he, he, he ends up kind of, and he, and he's happier and he's uh, more. Uh, uh, he he almost drax regains some of his 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 person his 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 innocence in in some ways by being able to to, to move on and and take pleasure and joy uh, in life. Uh, again and with and with this family that he has and that's that's where he lives a a good a good portion of of the time in volume two and um i actually don't have (laughs) any qualms whatsoever with his so-called personality change between volume one and volume two because i think that um it serves it serves him and the characters around him well for him to to have um to have moved a bit further than the others.
0: You know, Josh, I really wish I could have saw the movie you saw. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I I can't. I can't. Yeah. That scene is fantastic. And like whenever he's dramatic, like in the the final scene between him and, uh, in, uh, what's her name? Where he's like, you know, it's beautiful. So are you on the inside? Like there's there's so many lovely little moments, but I feel like 90% of his screen time is just, Pure comedy relief, and they do the thing that I hate, which is where they make him stupid to make the comedy funny. And I, I just, I just don't find that kind of comedy at funny at all. I, it's, it's just, it all just feels like sitcom where it's not about the character. It's just they just make him stupid so they can lay on the joke, and they just do it over and over and over again. It just gets so irritating.
2: Well, he and, he's a little dense even in the first one. I mean, you remember is, the but, whole you remember the whole gag with the um you know which is. H- hilarious, but when they're in the prison and yeah. Peter yeah, I, I, Peter runs his finger across his neck, and Drax is like, "Which that is a genuinely funny moment, you know." And, and Drax is like, "Why would I? Why would I? <laughs> why would I run my finger? Across, why would I run my finger across my neck? Why would I? Why would I do that?" He's he's very literal. He's like, "Well, he's like my seven year old son." Yeah, there's a difference
0: between not understanding. A lot of cu- cultural things about other people, and just being a moron. <laughs> mm. I feel like the the, the first film he was he just he just didn't get it. Whereas in this film he's just stupid, mm. and it it just really rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, and speaking of a character that's just stupid, I think whenever. Chris Pratt is being dramatic in this movie he is blowing me away like he's a lot of awesome dramatic scenes where he's just kind of sitting there crying with te- like tears like suddenly crying with tears in his eyes and I'm like oh my gosh this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen but I feel like when he's trying to be funny and he's like doing these these like kind of Saturday Night Live joke routines that the movie gives him I think he's kind of bad like he is so overacting every line's like this big huge thing and it just never feels real, like like some of his arguments with the Rocket or his arguments with Um Gamora. It's just, I th- his acting just feels bad to me, which is crazy because he's I think he's so incredible in every dramatic moment, which is a lot of I think thankfully more than the humor. But man, it gets it gets rough sometimes, which is odd because he's a comedy actor. I don't know why this happens, but how do you feel about him, James?
1: Um, I I, I definitely maybe not. To to the extent that you feel, I definitely prefer him in the dramatic scenes in this, as opposed to the the comedic ones. Uh, I usually prefer like just like the subtle line and like a facial expression, and I think that like there's a lot of that in the first one where it it's just about his his delivery of like this really this really smart funny line. Like it takes a smart writer to know how to write those kind of like dumb jokes that the first one had so often. And like, and he delivered them really well. I think there are bits here where I'm like, he's just, you know, like what, why would you do that? Like it does. You would put a turd in my pillow. (laughs) Yeah. Like it, it feels. Yeah. Just over, overacting. Like if you say something at a higher volume and slower, like that, that makes it funny. Um, I I still think that he's got moments of comedy that do work. <laughs> a line <laughs> that kills me is when he's asking for tape and he's like, "Yeah, Scotch tape works." <laughs> well, if you didn't have any Scotch tape, they're like, he's got moments like that that I think are absolutely hysterical. Um, but there there are just like a, a hand... and for me they're they're really only a small handful. But there are a couple of notable moments where I'm like, "Uh, eh, I didn't didn't really." take to that that reading to that that attempt at comedy there. I mean y'all know how I feel so we don't need to, <laughs> we, we
2: don't need to un- unpack that.
1: you know, we we talked about like a lot of these characters individually. One of the things um that that I do want to talk about is is just his relationship with Gamora. I'm gonna start with something I didn't like but then end it positively because I prefer to be positive. Um, I, a weird decision that this movie made to me was like whenever he's first, whenever they first meet Ego, it's Peter who's like, I don't buy it, and she's like, Why? Like, that's dumb. Like, this is the guy you've been looking for. At least try it. He's your Hasselhoff. Yeah, and then you know she discovers some stuff off, you know, like partially off camera, and then part, like part, a lot of it, or actually all of it, away from Peter. You know, like she's, she, and it's mostly just suspicion. I, you know, on the, on the topic of like contrived arguments, you know, you, you brought this one up. I, I just, I don't understand the decision to have her be the one to say, yeah, go for this. And him be like, I don't know. And then after like no real like exploration of the, of him, of Ego together, you know, like, cause we kind of fragment them again where she's off doing her own thing. And the scenes with Ego on the planet are just between Ego and, and Peter. And then they come back for like a singular scene and, all of, like, he's totally bought into it now, and she is like, like, w- what are you doing? It's like, well, you know, give him some of your... Re- like, you've uh, you've been off screen, or at least away from Peter, discovering all of this, and, like, he is very, very understandably taken to this father figure, and now, like, we've got this argument where, like, you you can't... Like, are we not family? Are we not enough? It's like, what? This person... You were the one saying, maybe you found your Hasselhoff, and now you're also the same person that's saying, are we not your family? This It's just... That whole decision, and I I don't, I, I think that there's a way that you could have made that decision to start there and then go there. Work, where it's like, I don't know, maybe slowly build that, slowly have like him neglecting his family and her noticing that and subtly calling him out on it and then building to this scene, but to just... They really have almost no interaction together between the initial meeting of Ego and then that argument. There, there's no slow building to that. So, it just – it feels like we need – again, maybe because they needed her isolated so she could go resolve the Nebula thing. It's just – it feels like now they're going to argue and she's going to leave. Like, we need a little bit more conflict here. That's the whole movie for me. <laughs> but – I do enjoy the way they they end it. Like I really and we'll we'll, we'll talk about I'm assuming we're building to the the father and son scene cuz I absolutely love that. But I, I love that last moment with them where she like it's this unspoken thing. Like I I still appreciate their relationship together. It's, it wasn't like my issues with this film ruined like well now I don't care about Peter and Gamora. I just I wish that there was more build of their relationship because they're they're just away from each other so long that when they are together, it has to be these big these big clashes to make up for lack of screen time.
0: Yeah, well, since you mentioned Father and Son, let's talk about it. um, and like that that scene is why i like I think I like this movie. like it's the best scene in the movie and it's the final scene, so it's kind of what it leaves you on. So, and it's so much of a high, you can kind of forgive all my problems in the movie leading up to it, because it is it is beautiful. Um, and who'd have thought, watching the first film, that the most powerful moment in the next film would be given to Kraglin? Like, the moment all the ships come out, and he's like, yes! And I think it, it breaks me every time. Mm-hmm. Just the, the love he had for his captain. Um, even though he accidentally started a new with me. He didn't mean to.
2: <laughs> well, and, and, and Yondu, you know, his, his, he was overwhelmed with joy to tears for Yondu because it's, it's what he had always wanted and, and longed for, you know, um, you know, in the, in the first place, cause he was he was a bit of an outcast
1: himself. Mm-hmm. What I think is just so impressive about this scene is that despite my issues, you know, like calling it a hodgepodge and this like like despite the fact that I think that there's a the the arcs themselves are too fragmented, you know, there's too much isolation going on and and it kind of hurts the editing. This scene wraps up so much so freaking beautifully with like you've got them like these they peter and gamora had just argued and you've you've got her there holding his hand and and her saying like it's this unspoken thing and then as you mentioned like uh gabe with mantis and uh and drax is like uh you know you're beautiful too and then rocket out there being like you know they, they came back for him and, and peter sees what that means to him and he's affirming it and then you've got craggling who's, who's just been so upset by what he had done and and he saw like it, his captain was still able to get this. Like every single character has something going on. Nebula and Gamora too. Yeah, Nebula and Gamora. Like there's so much stuff going on, and somehow like this, like they're hitting it at a hundred percent in this scene. Like every, and it's not mm. even like we're exploring them for extended bits. It's like we're kind of just moving in a very functional. This person, then this person, then this person. But there's just. Like, those little moments are just so sweet and, like, they're funny mm-hmm. in the way they need to be, but they're just, like, they're very, very powerful character moments. Um And so, like, just how, and, and there is restraint. Like, they don't go, like, they're respecting the music and the visuals and everything. Like, one of these scenes isn't, like, this laugh out loud and then to this tender moment. They're all kind of at the same, the same volume, the same kind of tone. And so from start to finish and then you know even when it like with the way it starts with him putting in the his uh head or his earbuds and and baby group coming up like from there to the very end it's just this constant like beautiful like the this marriage of visuals and music and and this little cherry on top for all of these character arcs it's Something about this scene it's just it's well it's many things about the scene it's just it's so freaking amazing and
0: speaking of restraint i love that gamora uh, not gamora that nebula isn't like totally fixed by the end you know uh-huh. she's still out you know still obsessed with vengeance she's still gonna go kill her father, but at least maybe maybe she's doing it now to save the little girls rather than to simply you know sate her own rage um, like, like you know that that the word where she you know she hogs and she kind of resists at first because she has no idea what even to make of this kind of love like she's still got a lot of growing to do uh-huh.
2: and and it's and we've said it before but Endgame really tied things up exceptionally well for her in that character. Um she mm-hmm. it became a surprise. I don't think that any of us would have ever expected when we saw volume one that Gamora or not Gamora, but Nebula was going to become this this pivotal fixture by the end of the Infinity saga. Um, I don't think that any of us any. I mean, that was a very that was very much a surprise for me, um, and and a yeah. welcome one because of how
1: true. A surprise to be sure, but a welcome.
2: one. Yeah, but <laughs> but how but how welcome it, it was, um, because of how well it served her as a as a character, um, and and Rocket too, of course. Um, we've already gone over Rocket, so we don't have to. But I think that the way they resolve. Um uh that particular part of his journey in Endgame is is done done very well as well because he he loses his whole family and his number one motivation is to get them all back however possible.
1: Spoilers. Spoiler Nobody on this world hasn't yeah. seen it, so.
2: Yeah. Um if you haven't seen Endgame by now, you probably never will.
0: So I don't think my mom's seen it. Yeah. I don't think she listens to the podcast uh, night, so.
2: But uh but anyway, it was a uh, one thing I'll say about Gunn is he's he's not a perfect filmmaker by by any means. He has his his highs like volume Guardians Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One and Slither, which is delightful. Uh, I, I, mm. I, I'm not even sure if that's the right word to use to describe slither because it's also disgusting uh but but i think gun would but, approve. but he would he would approve <laughs> of calling it probably both delightful and disgusting um and, and you Delightfully
1: have likely you have
2: his highs like that and then you have the 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 middles which are still good you know um because they're still and then and then they're because they're distinctly gun like you know, volume two, and then you have, um, super, which we should never talk about. Um, and, and, and and then, and then you have his tweets, which I also don't want to talk about. So, so, so he's, I I say all that to say that, that when gun is one thing I appreciate about him, even in his imperfections, and, and maybe it's because, and maybe it's, I appreciate ryan johnson for 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 some similar reasons i i don't hold them out to be these these perfect filmmakers um uh, who have reached the, the the pinnacle of their art form what what i do say and it's and it's often a trade-off when we're talking about film um and artistic expression what i do appreciate about james gunn what i do appreciate about ryan johnson is their 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 keen sense of um, even if it's from a secular perspective, their keen sense of human nature, and and what often makes it tick, and how they are able to actually uh, peel back um, those layers and and show us something.
0: And very emotional. Filmmakers. They they
2: are and 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 so when they have you, they they really they really have you hooked
0: in to what what they are doing. And they never do anything halfway. Everything is just like they go right. for it. Which if which, you know when they're which means when they're on track they make something pretty amazing when they're off they, they stumble. They're really going for the figure
2: <laughs> still. Right, they stumble a little bit, but I appreciate their 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 voice and their, their way of, their way of seeing things in their, and, 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 and what they bring to, to, uh, to film. Um, and it is in fact cinema by the way. Uh, <laughs>
0: and <laughs> Wait, you're saying this movie's uh humans giving other people, other humans, emotional experiences. Well, or it's
2: so funny because I, I had to think that, that maybe, um, that Scorsese hadn't seen either guardians of the galaxy movies because they, um, they, they delve into those very things that, uh, he says that they don't do. Um, and, and of course, James Gunn's response was so incredibly true and gracious and, and wonderful. Very tactful. And, 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 uh, well, he's gotta be, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's very true. Uh, he's got some self-interest now, uh, you know, uh, uh so uh but uh, but it is true and i think that that is gun's gun's heart you know i think he he puts himself out there yeah. and he he shows people who he is and i i think Ryan Johnson does that as an artist as yeah. as well and and so i i think in a lot of ways that's why i gravitate towards them as storytellers even though i don't think that they they've Put out, um, you know, I don't think they consistently put out masterpieces or five star movies, but I, I appreciate what they bring to the table. It's why I've said multiple times in the case of Ryan Johnson and The Last Jedi why I recognize that The Last Jedi, from a technical standpoint, is inferior to The Force Awakens. I enjoy and connect to The Last Jedi more than I do The Force Awakens.
0: And that reminds me of the tweet he put out um, when, when he finished the three, the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, Volume 3 script. It's just like, picture the script, like, every bit of my heart and soul. And, like, that's that's how he makes his movies. It is, yeah. So, I, I think we can uh, skip over our discussion of the score. Uh, unless there's a, a track that either of you two wanted to mention. I, I listened to it. I didn't find it all that interesting. Do either of you two listen to the score or have anything you want to say about it?
1: I really... Like, the only thing I have to say... Like, there's no individual tracks I want to highlight. I just wanted to say that... Um, It was just so nice that whenever we get into like that first tentacle monster fight, whenever Mm -hmm. you hear the music, I'm like, ah, the same theme. Finally, yes, pick a theme and stick to it. None of this reinventing it.
0: I didn't even think about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I I love that Guardians theme. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I can't believe we didn't even mention the songs. well, I mean, those are kind were, of. A it, it, I wasn't as good as the first one, but they were, it was really strong, though. Oh yeah, I mean, James Gunn,
2: you know, has said before, if I'm not mistaken, that that as he's writing out scenes, when he's in the in the scripting process, that there are basically songs that come come to mind, um, in in many ways, which is uh, a pretty fascinating way to way to write. Um, and uh, so he's. I, I love the soundtrack for both Guardians films very much.
0: What, what what is y'all's favorite musical sequence in this film, or song and sequence? Father and
1: son, <laughs> with no yeah, no question.
0: Gosh, uh, that's a kind of a
2: pickle here because which one don't I love is the question. So so I, I do I do from a choreography and a and a flow. And in motion uh standpoint in the in the song itself i do love uh the scene where um yondu um and and rocket and and group are groot are escaping mm-hmm. and and he's just you know he's just pegging everybody that that he sees um i think i think from a from a just a visual standpoint, the pairing with the, the music and, uh, uh, that's just a really neat, uh, neat, neat segment.
0: Yeah. Um, I won't comment on the weird irony of a guy, of a movie about family featuring a guy gleefully slaughtering his entire family. Cause that happens. <laughs> but Yes. That is a very beautifully shot. sequence. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That is, that is a bit strange. I didn't think of it that way. now you're depressing (laughs) i'm just
0: kidding um let's move into our star rating for this film um josh what do you give this film out of five stars and uh and do you have any kind of ranking of the films up till now
2: um i haven't written a review on it um i i do believe i have given it and and stick to um all things considered um i still give it four out of five stars all
0: right um, and what about you James so what is your star ranking for this star rating for this film and uh what is your ranking for the MCU so far
1: um I'm really torn between three and three and a half um because I think if we're just talking about like quality I think there are enough like significant things that I I, I think it just gets wrong that makes me want to put it at a three but I'm just gonna go with my emotions because I really do love that last scene. I love, I love where this character ends, or I love where this movie ends with its characters. I love, um, just the emotional states that it ends them all on. Um, and even when the CGI is a bit overused, I think it's still like it. It's still visually distinct. Also, the very beginning—that's probably the best de aging in the series yet. Yeah. Um that looked just like Mm -hmm. a young kurt russell to Mm -hmm. me um i think young rdj still looked a little bit rubbery in civil war and this is like oh that that kind of just looks like human skin
0: i think it was all the hair hiding his face probably
1: so i'm gonna go with three and a half i think uh i don't it may change it's somewhere around there as for the ranking uh i go number one winter soldier number two avengers number three civil war number four guardians of the galaxy Number 5 Iron Man, number 6 Iron Man 3, and I did another yet another switch. I I went number 7 Thor number 8 Captain America the First Avenger. Those two are always swapping that is back the and correct forth. Order. Uh well, you know what? Never mind. Number 7 Captain <laughs> America, number 8 Thor, number 9 Age of Ultron, number 10 Doctor Strange, number 11 Ant-Man, number 12 Iron Man 2, number 13 Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, number 14 The Incredible Hulk, and number 15 The Dark World.
0: Um so I actually for me, I also kind of torn between 3 three and 3.5 just because uh, I, I just echoing everything you said like there are so many things i consider in this movie to be kind of ab- objectively bad but also there are so many things where it just does it right and it's one of the few mcu films that actually makes me cry like and you, you gotta be doing something right to get there so i'm just gonna cheat again <laughs> and give it a th- 3.25 um and my ranking is um number one captain america civil war number two the avengers number three guardians of the galaxy number four Captain America the Winter Soldier, number 5 Iron Man, number 6 Thor, number 7 Age of Ultron, number 8, number 8 Doctor Strange 9, Ant-Man, 10 Iron Man 3, 11 Incredible Hulk 12, Captain America the First Avenger number 13, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 number 14, Iron Man 2 and number 15, Thor the Dark World so it's, it's, I enjoy the film but it's it's definitely down there in the MCU rankings and let's real quickly run through um
2: I do want to mention I do have my top 5 at least. Okay <laughs> oh this is controversy uh <laughs> y'all are gonna groan in just a
0: just a second here if this is number one i'm, I'm well, actually no
2: guard no actually guardians <laughs> of the galaxy volume two is not in my top five um it's guardians of the galaxy volume one uh the I can avengers that. the og avengers still uh, here Captain with you america winter soldier yep avengers infinity war
0: and thor rag okay that's my top five (laughs) so there you go whatever (laughs) all right uh so let's move into the box office um so on its initial release it earned 389 million domestically and 473 in the foreign markets for a worldwide total of 863 million on its 200 million dollar budget uh which is just under 100 million over what the first film made so Nice increase there. It currently stands number 10 domestically in the MCU and number 11 in the worldwide markets as far as the overall grosses for the films. Looking at the uh, 2017 box office, it it stands um, number five domestically underneath both Homecoming and Ragnarok, which were both released in the same year. And worldwide, it stands at number eight below Homecoming but over Ragnarok. So all those films made roughly around the same amount of money.
2: And volume three will be billion dollars. Volume three is going to be the first billion dollar guardians of the galaxy movie that's my bold prediction probably
0: yeah uh, you hear that they're averaging a billion dollars for every mcu movie now going for all 21 yeah, 22 however crazy. many they are now it's crazy uh the highest grossing films for that year uh, domestically and worldwide are uh, the last jedi and uh, the beauty and the beast remake um because the last year there was a flop remember yeah um
2: and, and be, the, be the, <laughs> the beauty and the beast remake was terrible too i didn't realize that movie is it, it delightful. Is, it is, and and I, I, I mean, that movie has a lot of haters too, and I, I just do not understand it. But that's all right.
0: Okay, I thought you were being serious. No, 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 no. I don't it. <laughs> get it. I don't get it. I,
2: I, think it's, I think it's, I think it's great. I really do.
0: Uh, and it holds an eighty four percent on Rotten Tomatoes and a sixty seven on Metacritic, which is a very solid, but a little bit below the first film. I'm a little hazy as far as the overall initial reaction. I know I was very disappointed, and I think that kind of tainted my view of the whole thing. Um, do you guys remember what the kind of initial overall reaction for this film was?
2: It was. I thought it was overall pretty darn positive, but that's based upon people that I talked to at the time who just enjoyed it as another Guardians movie. I, I don't remember there being a lot of negativity um, initially, at least that I could that I could tell.
1: But it was a. I think it was like 70% positive, but with like a 30% of people like really not liking it. Like I remember after our first viewing, nobody that saw it with me, none of us enjoyed it.
0: Hmm. And the interesting thing with this is like a lot of people who didn't like it were huge fans of the first film. It wasn't like people who didn't like it previously still didn't like it.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember, but most from like, most of what I was hearing from people outside of that group really enjoyed it. And it wasn't until I remember Jeremy John's, Reviewed it and he he gave it a, a better or a good time. Alcohol required or, or better with alcohol or something like that. Then and then after that you kind of started seeing um, more negativity around it. Uh, just about like the movie's legacy. It's it's weird because I feel like it is. It's a very very fragmented legacy. Like it's got. It, it depends on who you ask. Where there are people who just. Dearly love this movie and hold to it. And then there are people who like really hate it, like put at the very bottom of the MCU. Um, it's, it's there. there's definitely not like that, there's no solidified idea, mm-hmm. um, even a couple years removed, that's like, this is what. The world thinks of this it's still kind of like well <laughs> depends on who you're asking and is really. it just
0: me or is this film oddly popular among people who don't really care about the mcu
1: i don't know if i've ever had a conversation about it with people who don't care about the like, mcu like
0: or, or they like it well enough like oh this film has real emotions and character drama and stuff like i've never seen that before in the mcu kind of thing hmm.
1: <laughs> i haven't noticed that but it, i mean it's not going to surprise me if it exists
0: And uh, lastly, uh, as far as awards, it was nominated for Best VFX, uh, but lost to Blade Runner 2049, which I am totally fine with. Literally everything
2: should have lost to. to
0: Pretty much. So I think that uh, pretty well sums up our discussion of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I hope you enjoyed our our review. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to please head over to iTunes and leave us a rating review. Um, And if you would like us on Facebook, we are there as Franchise Fatigue Podcast. We are on both Twitter and Instagram as at franchisedpod. And if you want to find our other episodes, you can go to FranchiseFenicPodcast.com. And where can people follow you, Josh? You can follow me
2: um, at, well, you can come join the Outer Rim, the Star Wars group on Facebook. We are over 600 members strong, as mentioned earlier on in the show. And you can find me and James and Gabe and, and Jeff holding down the fort there and enjoying our our Star Wars can i say safe space because it is our star (laughs)
0: our our star wars safe space it's safe for us but very unsafe for 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 people who just want to be nasty
2: yeah yeah it is it is unsafe for people who just want to uh uh hate on the on the new movies for sure um and so you can easily find me there um you can find me on twitter um at josh mesker um, and you can find me on Facebook by just searching Josh Mesker because, honestly, you're not going to find any others as far as I, as far as I
1: know. I'd wish uh, people follow you, James. You can follow me on Letterboxd. I am there as JL Hamry. It's J-L-H-A-M-R-I. Uh, Josh already plugged um, The Outer room, so I don't have to anymore. But what he didn't plug is Pop Americana, um, which is this thing that Josh has created and we're all trying to contribute for i'm super excited about it uh i've got a lot of ideas for things that i want to write um uh, so definitely give that page a like and watch as we grow that
0: so you can also find me on I'm and there's gabriel green you can find me on instagram as gabe the great green and they also have a youtube channel called greenery01 where i put out these uh, movie-based music videos that are i think at least are kind of fun they're really um, good actually i do enjoy them i appreciate that um No, I bet you say that every week. Uh, (laughs) So uh, next week, uh, we will be talking about Spider-Man Homecoming, which is just a delightful film. So that'll be fun. So uh, thanks again for coming on, Josh. And until next week, we will see you in the sequel.
1: He says, welcome to the frickin' Guardians of the Galaxy. Only you didn't use frickin'.